0: Hello and welcome to everybody's national parks. This is your host Danielle. This is episode number 7.1. The first episode in our series on Olympic National Park. This episode is the trip report for a trip Brian and his brother Dan took last fall of 2017. They had an amazing adventure on a guy's weekend. Before we get to the conversation, we would like to ask for your help to grow our audience. If you enjoy listening to Everybody's National Parks, please tell your friends. Also, we love creating each episode, but it takes significant time and effort. Please consider supporting our work through Patreon, which provides a way for listeners to support the show. Just go to our website, everybodysnationalparks.com, and click on Support the Show. Thank you for listening. Now for this week's discussion on olympic
1: national park okay i'm here with a very special guest star today on everybody's national parks my own brother dan dan how are you
2: hey how's it going
1: good so this is our trip report on olympic national park which it's already been almost a, a month. month yeah so yeah. it's almost been a month by the time we've had a chance to link up our schedules to chat about it but man what a great trip huh
2: oh it was amazing
1: And i think the big punchline here is the weather was amazing i remember over the summer texting you what are the chances? And we did this trip in late September, early October. And I remember texting you over the summer saying, what are the chances that we get drenched on this trip? 13,000 percent. And <laughs> somehow we made it. It was uh, a little bit of wet weather one morning that we'll get into, but otherwise amazing weather.
2: Yeah, it was great. I mean, it was like 50-50 that time of year. We lucked out. It was perfect fall weather.
1: Perfect fall weather. Actually, a little bit of when we got there, it was a little bit of last gasp of summer weather. It was actually legitimately hot when I landed. Oh, that's right. The
2: first day. Yeah.
1: yeah, The first day. So let's get into that. Let's talk about the first day. And we'll, as we're talking about our trip, we'll kind of describe the park too. And again, especially someone who lives there, I should mention you live not far from Olympic National Park, which is why we picked this. So as kind of a local, you had a couple of uh, great insights that I want to pull on here, but let's just start with the first day. So we were picked up, and actually, we, this is worth mentioning. I think half the fun of the trip was our ride for the trip. So, why don't you mention your truck that we were able to use for the trip?
2: Well, it's been in the family since new. It's a '84 Chevy pickup, square body, right, Brian?
1: Right, square body. <laughs> That's right.
2: <laughs> you know, it used to be our dad's, which is cool, and I've kind of kept the flame going on it. So it's kind of hardcore you know it's not very luxurious doesn't have a usb port or anything which (laughs) (laughs) i
1: screwed up on (laughs) no no usb port that's no cup holders which i completely forgot i had been in that truck a million times but not in a long time totally forgot there's no cup holders or any of those luxuries but just as a side note i was stunned you're certainly more of the car guy than i am i was stunned on how many compliments you got on our trip not that you were seeking compliments on the truck I remember we actually Ruby Beach when we pulled into the parking lot there was a guy waiting for you to get out of the truck to tell you how much he liked the truck it was fantastic
2: it's always a good time because it's always the same thing you know it's my uncle brother cousin had one of those and we did this with it and you know people always have these life memories with those kind of vehicles and it's cool to talk to people you know just randomly start a conversation you know
1: it was great so we rode in style that's the punchline here so
2: Spartan style but, <laughs> Spartan, style, yeah. but in style
1: so Day one, you picked me up at the airport, and we drove all the way around to Lake Quinault Lodge, which is on the southern end of the park. And actually, I didn't look at the map closely enough. The lodge itself is not in the national park, but a part of the national forest. So I was a little confused. I kept waiting to see the Welcome to Olympic National Park signs as we got closer and closer to Lake Quinault. But there's a wedge there, which is a uh, part of the national forest, but it's surrounded by the national park, but on Lake Quinault, part of the national forest. So first off, Dan, what did you think of the lodge? Maybe we should just talk about the classic national parks lodge. what did you think? Uh,
2: you know, it was so funny. I've lived here for a while and never went there. I guess that's what happens when you're local, right? You don't do the touristy stuff, but yeah, it's just one of those lodges. just iconic.
1: It's obviously with a great view of the lake itself, but the great room, which was pretty iconic is having the great room with a big roaring fireplace it was a lot of fun. And again, we got there. Kind of this last day of summer where it was in the low eighties and and nice and hot, but we got there too late to kind of jump in after dark up in the next morning, and that's when we did the enchanted Valley hike to O'Reilly Creek. That's correct. We decided to just power out a nice long hike. I'd been on a plane all day the day prior and then in the truck, so that's right. We decided to power out this hike, so this was a thirteen mile hike, but for some reason it took us seven hours. so what do you think was going on there
2: I think Maybe they judge that by the crow flies. I don't think they actually, you know, use a pedometer on the trail. (laughs) So a lot of ups and downs and, you know, a lot of rocks and roots to step over, but it's well worth it.
1: We were slightly annoyed because we were keeping a good pace and I'm used to a pace. And I thought we had judged how long 13 miles would take us and it took us so much longer. And so it did eat up the whole day, but the hike itself was great and a great for me, an introduction to the park because, and you were pretty good about this, you were pointing out a lot of the trees and the difference trees. So there's a Sitka spruce, Doug fir, some coastal redwoods. And so actually we should back this up, Dan, why do you know so much about these trees? And maybe you want to talk a little bit about what your day job is and why you know these woods so well.
2: I'm a land surveyor. So um, I spent a couple years up there actually working week to week, marking timber lines so they can come and cut the trees. Not in the national park or anything i worked for a private company so in private timber companies but i got to know the area pretty well and honestly as a treat seeing the virgin timber like that that you know never has been touched by man which is really cool i can just imagine the first pioneers who came out here seeing the whole peninsula is covered with these giant giant ancient trees so i really appreciate the park for that but anyway getting back to my job yeah i mean I was day in and day out in the woods. So.
1: so, you know, these trees, and I should note that one thing you pointed out to me was, and to your point about the timber industry is right up to the border of a national park or the national forest. I mean, right up to the border it had clearly been logged. So when you talk about the preservation component of the National Park, there's not like a buffer of a few miles. I mean, you'd see the sign, Welcome to Olympic National Park. Behind that sign, virgin timber. In front of that sign, you know, something that had been just logged several years ago. So the contrast was pretty stark. One thing I noticed was your nieces and I had just spent some trips in upstate New York, and one of the recurring themes in upstate New York and, of course, down in Shenandoah National Park was how our hemlocks here on the East Coast are in peril. And what was great for me to see were how healthy the Western hemlocks were. So that was something to note to see kind of that contrast. And, you know, you had something where you kept saying on our 13-mile or whatever it was, my hike, you kept saying, (laughs) look up, look up. And, again, having just flown in from the East Coast to see how towering these trees were, the spruce, the fir, the hemlocks— I very easily would forget about it just keeping my eyes on the trail and then look up and you'd have just these towering trees. So is that something you ever get used to? Or are you still awed by how massive these trees are?
2: I think I'm still awed by it. And I think we saw one of the largest hemlocks I've ever seen out there on that trail. Those things get massive out there. And the hemlocks are cool too, because they'll grow on a nurse log where a log falls and the trees will grow out of it. And then that log will rot away and the tree will be like kind of on stilts. It looks pretty cool.
1: The nurse trees, that was pretty amazing to see that out of a rotting log, to see the new trees being just growing out of it at weird angles. So, Dan, one thing on the Enchanted Valley Hike Trail you pointed out that I would have just blown right past was there was a stump of a tree that had been logged, obviously, before the park was formed. About four and a half, five feet up on this massive tree was a notch. You know, the notch was probably five or six inches high, and it had gone about, I don't know, a foot or two deep inside the tree, you know, had a total length of maybe two or three feet. You pointed out something about that notch that I totally would have missed. So what's the story with that?
2: Well, those are for springboards. So what the loggers would do is they take their axe and they notch out in the side of the tree so they could actually put a board with these wire hooks on it, and they would stuff it in there, and then they'd actually stand on that board to start sawing the tree down. And they usually put a couple of those around the tree and be two guys standing there with something they call a misery whip, which is the giant saw with all the teeth on it, with handles on each end. And the guys would sit there and saw back and forth. And they figured out they had to do that in order to actually cut the tree efficiently, because I guess when they first came out here, they tried to saw it down at the bottom. The trees are so waterlogged that it wouldn't cut. It would just dull the blade right away. So they figured out to get up in the tree a little bit and they were able to cut through it. So. You got to imagine these guys back in the day standing on like a two by four, basically, with a 14 foot saw going back and forth all day. That's what these guys did.
1: So let me get this straight. These guys would stand on a two by four that was springy by nature with a huge saw with razor sharp teeth in the saw. So no OSHA regulations there, I take it, huh? Oh, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We saw that. That was part of the trip. But I should say we didn't get to do the entire Enchanted Valley Trail. So I should clarify, the whole trail, it's an out-and-back trail, it's 13 miles, so it would be 26 there and back. We split it in half. We went to O'Reilly Creek, which is about halfway up. So I think it exactly was six and a half miles is what we did. So we did 13 total. So we actually never made it to the Enchanted Valley as it is, we made it to O'Reilly Creek where there were some backcountry campsites there, which seemed pretty nice. And we were able to gas up.
2: The whole trail is right next to the East Fork of the Quinault River, too. So you can follow that trail, basically stays next to the river the whole way up into that valley. So
1: that trail, in my view, it was out and back. So let me ask you this, Dan. So, in terms of kid friendly, you know, there were some up and down, but do you think kids would have been able to tackle at least a part of that trail?
2: I think so it wasn't too extreme
1: you know yeah it wasn't too extreme and again it's nice to be next to the river and you know if you only did a few miles there and back you could do that there were certainly some stops along the way that were pretty nice so that was the enchanted valley hike which we did ask the ranger that morning we said look what hike would you recommend she's like this is the one right the enchanted valley hike is kind of the marquee hike you know, do as much as you can it's a real live 26 mile day hike So start early, you get back late, but we got a later start and we just did what we could. And again, kind of dubious about the mileage on that trail, because we felt like either we were slow going and we didn't realize it, or it was mismarked. So we got back. A couple of boxes we wanted to check is I jumped in the lake because I had to. And so again, it was end of season. I was the only person in the the lake. It was actually, it was cold, but we had in June went swimming in the gorges up in Ithaca at a state park there and you know it was still spring runoff and it had gotten down to 55 degrees and of course the kids wanted to go in so I had to go in with them this wasn't that cold got to chill out in the great room and also we never got to use this but what's nice about Lake Quinault Lodge is they have an indoor pool like a very old-fashioned I'm sure at the time it was state-of-the-art, but it's there. We never got to use it, but it was pretty great and pretty iconic. So listen, we started off with a little bit of glamping. Uh, No apologies there. It felt great, and we got to stretch our legs. So day two, we were up and out, and we drove. So just kind of the contours of Olympic National Park. We're in the south, and you know, Olympic National Park roughly is a polygon type of park, but they have on the coast— a non-contiguous strip of the park, also part of the national park, that's right on the coast. We drove from Quinault, basically up the coast, and our first stop was at Ruby Beach, where it was raining. So we did catch some rain, but it was raining. And do you want to talk a little bit about our walk around Ruby Beach?
2: Ruby Beach is one of those places like everybody out here knows about. Like, I'm going to Ruby Beach, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone loves that place. It's just with the haystacks and all the piles of driftwood.
1: and So what's a haystack? You know,
2: the haystack is the rock formations that are out in the water that, my guess is, they were under the ground at one time, and the, the ocean eroded all the dirt and stuff around from them, and the hard rock remained. And they're pretty cool because they'll be out in the water, and trees and stuff will grow on them. And,
1: yeah, it's pretty dramatic. Um,
2: it's very a dramatic contrast just from the flat ocean to have these rocks jetting out.
1: So we saw Ruby Beach, but we left the beach. We revisited the beach on another day, but we then headed in to what I was most excited for, which was the Ho Rainforest. I have kind of a national parks guidebook and they have something like the top 20 places to visit within the national parks and Ho's right up there as one of the iconic things to see in the entire national park system. So we were pretty excited. So we did the host system. We hiked the Hall of Moss Trail, which is, again, this book had recommended about three quarters of a mile. I mean, it is rainforest. And I think the factoid I got that struck me is when the Hall of Moss was, quote, discovered, the moss covered the ground six feet deep and of course, that has been eroded by people visiting and there are dedicated trails there. But it's hard to imagine where we were walking that up to the top of my head and our heads would have been moss. Right. So that gives you a sense of just how dense this area was. And of course, we were there. It was raining. So it was just perfect. You know, you were in the rainforest and it's lightly raining. So you want to talk a little bit about Ho? What do you remember about that hike?
2: Nothing was planned. And we got that killer campsite right on the river in the park. And we were right by the visitor center. So we just basically just parked our truck at the campsite and we were able to hike the trail. All those little trails in there, the hollow Mosses, that other one. Spruce which, uh,
1: Nature Trail. That was a mile and thank a quarter. You. That's yep. right.
2: And then we did some of the whole trail itself.
1: We did to Mount Tom Creek, which three miles in, which was a uh, great waterfall in the midst of this rainforest. So just to paint the picture, I mean, you think about a storybook rainforest and you think about, I don't know, the Amazon or something like that. That was this But just super, super tall trees as well, and just teeming with cover, teeming with plants, teeming with moss, obviously, and ground cover. So it was great to see. And again, I think in terms of being front country trails, being tourist-friendly, these were well-marked. They were well-guided, so you were able to get descriptions of what you saw, especially in the Hall of Moss and the Spruce Nature Trail. So things like the nurse trees. And you just had some spectacular, all these trees fighting for sunlight in this rainforest. They were growing at crazy angles and dipping in every way. So it was a highlight. Although, shockingly, we'll get to this in a bit, it wasn't the highlight of the trip. So this was a nice surprise. I kept thinking of just being a... uh, Gen X with you, and you and I saw this in the movie theater together in 1983, I kept thinking of Return of the Jedi. It looked like the moon of Endor is the best that I can exp- I'm probably not doing it justice, but I kept thinking. I was waiting, <laughs> Ewok for, the Ewok. Yeah, I was waiting for the Ewoks to <laughs> jab me in the butt with a spear at some point. That's you-
2: it's a good uh, description of it. It looks just like that.
1: And again, there's a ranger station there. And you're right, we camped in the front country. Actually, we were there in shoulder season, so we got our pick of the campsites. And I thought we had the best one. So I don't mind recommending this. Campsite 29 in Loop A in the front country was great. We were at the extreme end. We were on the whole river. We had some woods back to us. It was raining. So we didn't set up the hammock. But we were able to set things up. And we kind of were able to get a little bit away from everybody. But right great. on the river.
2: You, you remember the color of the water too? It was like that silver blue. Yes. Because it's a glacial runoff.
1: You explained that. You mentioned that. You know, a lot of these rivers have their own distinct color scheme. And I remember you pointed that out to me. I was trying to describe that color, and you said silver-blue, right? What causes that? Do you remember some of the other colors of the rivers that you would point out?
2: The Quinault was kind of greenish but clear, and the Ho was just that, like I said, that silver-blue color. I think it's from the glacial runoff, the silt maybe, or whatever minerals are up there. And it just colors the whole river that way, which it makes them very distinct.
1: And again, it gives you that otherworldly mood of Endor feel, Another pro, and I would be remiss if I didn't mention this, but uh, I'm fishing for a compliment. How did my chili taste?
2: Oh, your chili was really good.
1: All right. That's what I wanted to hear. So uh, I dehydrated some bison chili, and this was the grand experiment. (laughs) So I was a little nervous that this was. You weren't going to
2: eat that night?
1: (laughs) Yeah, and we should get into this right now. One of the problems we had was I had a fancy pants new BioLite stove. BioLite means rather than just using kind of a little gas stove with a propane or something else— The BioLite is you're supposed to be able to burn wood and other flammable material. And not only would this serve as your little camp stove, but it can also has a battery pack on it. It can charge your phone and all that. It didn't work for us. We had a lot of problems with this. And I must have gotten a bum stove because a lot of people love the BioLite stoves. We couldn't get this to work faithfully unless we cheated. So that was a bit of a bummer. And I was worried about my chili. But we finally got a rolling enough, and uh, I thought the bison chili was a highlight, if I don't say so myself.
2: It was funny, though, that the park was out of wood because, like, you said it was shoulder season, and then that kid came rolling through with wood in his truck that he, like, saved a day for us.
1: In all seriousness, and we'll joke about the wood guy because he saved the day, but I get it where you're in shoulder season, end of the season. So in front country campsite, usually had a wood pile, you know, that you uh, honor system that you would buy wood. There was nothing there. And of course, we're deep enough in that it's, I think if I remember, 12 miles to out of the park where there was some wood. So either you're doing that or you're foraging for wood in the park, which you're not supposed to do necessarily. And, you know, we had an axe, but we were loath to get either dead standing trees or find wood on the ground, especially if it was wet. So we kind of just did a tour through the loops looking for people who had left firewood behind And we were able to scrounge enough for a bit. And just as we were getting ready to light that, some kid came by and, uh, he had wood in the back of his truck, and so God bless his entrepreneurial spirit. It was fantastic. So we suddenly went from worrying about our wood situation to having plenty of, of wood. Yeah, of course we did. <laughs> <laughs> He was super cool, too.
2: He's like, yeah, I don't know. How much you got? You're like, oh, we got nine bucks. He's like, great. I don't care. You know, you probably could have traded him a couple beers for the wood. He we care.
1: probably could have just traded him some beers. I was happy to give him some cash, though. So, But <laughs> the other thing with—and this was a theme for the next two days—the other thing with end of season is— we spoke to the ranger station in Ho, uh, and this is going to go to our day three in the backcountry, and we asked them, can we get a bear canister from you? They were all out. We're going to move now to the next day. We needed a bear canister. We went to Ozette, and we'll explain that in a minute, but a criticism I had is as serious as the parks want you to take bears and I take bears and you take bear awareness seriously, I thought it would be easier for us to get bear canisters. We did our best, I think. Tell me what you think. But they made it very difficult for us to be bear aware. They could have made it a little bit easy on us. Yeah, that was a bit of a pain.
2: Or, you know, okay, you can go to Forks to the Thriftway and rent one, but then you got to drive all the way back to Forks to drop it off. And what was it, like 45 or 50 bucks?
1: Yeah, and it was way out of our way. So we were hoping for either the ranger stations to have it or some of these right outside the parks, convenience store type of things that are set up but they didn't have it. You know, shoulder season, everyone was out.
2: Which was strange. I mean, during the summer, does every ranger station have a bunch of them? And we just missed out. I don't know what really happened there. So
1: We wanted to make it easier for us to be compliant here, and it was a little bit tough. But that gets us into day three, and this was a highlight of highlights. There was really no lowlights here, but you had suggested this. So I I wanted to do some backcountry, and so I said, listen, where do you want to go in the backcountry here? And you suggested Ozette. So just to paint the picture, again, in this polygon, massive Olympic National Park, non-contiguous back on the coast. It's this strip of land that's also part of the national park. We went back out there. So we Ruby Beach, north of Ruby Beach is an Ozette Ranger Station. And there is two hikes that emanate from that Ranger Station, both of which are three miles. One goes kind of northwest and one goes southwest. And the end of both of those trails are campsites, backcountry campsites. So we had our permit ready to go. We decided to hike from the ranger station to Sand Point, the southern one. Then you walk up the coast, about three miles, maybe a little bit shy of three miles. You're walking on the beach. And then we ended up at Cape Alava, which was our campsite. So this was the highlight. The first thing, the weather forecast all week long was we were going to get drenched. You and I, Now, I don't mean to lead the jury here. You and I were ready for it. We were not just resigned. We were going to make the best out of it. We knew we were going to get drenched. Then what happened?
2: (laughs) Same old thing, you know, out here. (laughs) You get used to getting wet, but it was so funny. We were saying, we're like, you know, it'd be great if while we're driving around, it rains. And then maybe it'll get nice when we get out of the truck. And it did exactly that, that dumped on us when we drove up to Nia Bay and then kind of looped back down. It was amazing when we got to... The ranger station parked the clouds broke and it was cloudy but not really raining and then you know we did our three mile hike on the southwest trail there which was really nice too having all that coastal forest not so much like the hoe where it's the inland rainforest this is actually the coastal rainforest which brings all different kinds of vegetation and stuff which we tried some huckleberries and stuff while we were walking which was cool but that's a super slow growing forest so the trees aren't that big but they're super old because it's just how the cedar swamps are out there but anyway we hiked on that southwesterly trail which probably had a name which was part boardwalk which was cool he only fell down once or twice i think
1: yeah, I but. slipped a few. It was wet. It was slick. So I forgot about. Thanks for reminding me that I took a header. I, I had to say something. But. <laughs> I took a header a couple times. By the way, those trails are just called where the campsites were. We were on the Sand Point Trail hiking down. And then on our way back the next day, we were on the Cape Alava Trail.
2: So I think it did mist on us a little bit on that trail. But when we got to the beach, The sky's open for us, and the sun came out. It was unbelievable. We couldn't have asked for better weather.
1: So that was dramatic. We're on these boardwalks through the coastal rainforest, Cedar Swamp. Then you emerge, and you're right on the beach, Pacific Ocean. And as you mentioned, haystacks are out in the water. Now, this is important. What was recommended to us, and the rangers were really good about this, is giving us tidal charts because some of that trail, the trail's just the beach, is impassable at high tide or not necessarily impassable. You've just gotta go back up into the cedar swamp, coastal forest, and it's usually a steep hike up and back down. You gotta be very mindful of the tidal charge. I think ebb tide was about 1.30 in the afternoon, and you know we were there hiking it probably about an hour after that, so we were fine. But hiking up the coast expecting to get dumped on, but instead had brilliant blue sky and legitimately warm. So it was great just hiking up that beach And with that site was a total highlight. And with the sun coming out, it was unexpected and a lot of fun.
2: Like you went back in time. That beach has been like that forever, you know? It was incredible.
1: Yeah, well, let's talk about that. So we get to our campsite, Cape Alava, and that had some Ozet Indian history to it. Do you remember anything about that, the little history of where our campsite was? That
2: site was actually, I think in the 70s, they did an archaeological dig there. And they found the village that was there from 2000 years ago and was covered in a landslide, a mudslide, I guess. So everything was well preserved. So what I read was they found 50,000 artifacts and intact longhouses where they used to live. And I mean, they had their whole existence right there where we camped, which is amazing.
1: I think the actual archeological site it was not exactly where we camped, and I think the way the park does, they're not going to tell you where it is because they don't want you traipsing over there. But it was close. I'm sure they it was... filled it
2: all in and it, it all be vegetated. Yeah. Oh, is that
1: what happened? Okay. But the point was, and you and I were saying this when we had our campfire going. You certainly felt the ghosts in a lot of way. You can easily see why this was an attractive area to camp if you were a Native American, as you said. The shelter, the water's right out there. It's comfortable. It's flat. So you certainly felt kind of the weight of the history where you were. And again, where we were, that was great. Just getting the fire going and then falling asleep with the ocean, listening to the ocean was, uh, was fairly amazing. So a total, total highlight. So thanks for that recommendation. That was a, uh, a great backcountry experience.
2: Yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it, you know. We could burn driftwood only out there. So we like pack a log back to camp and we sliced and diced it, which I was like, man, this thing isn't going to burn. And when we chopped it up, it was actually seasoned inside. I'm like, what? And we had a nice fire like right away. It's cool.
1: I think if you notice, so there's a little trail right behind our campsite where everyone was walking. The other backcountry, there was, I don't know, maybe a dozen or so backcountry sites. And I think people were jealous of our fire game. And I think it's a nice recommendation. You know, you brought your axe and it was absolutely necessary because you're only allowed to burn driftwood. The driftwood is not convenient and didn't come in small three feet logs, right? Like you and I took the two of us to carry this one big piece of driftwood cedar, right? Then we had to chop it down we got it going. So that was great. I think everyone was jealous of our campfire game.
2: And the seals out there too. They were so noisy. I forgot about that. Yeah. They had their own world going on out there. Like on one of those haystacks, that's where they live. Barking.
1: That was part of it. Again, great weather up the next morning we packed out. So then we were on that, Top trail, right? So that was the Cape Alava trail going back to the Ozette Ranger Station three miles. Pretty easy on the way out. So at this point we had been in front country, back country, hadn't showered. We had put in about thirty miles. We had hiked. And this was a great way to end the trip is we went to Solduck. So Sol Hot Springs. And you want to talk a little bit about what Solduck Hot Springs is? I'm obviously it's uh, it's pretty self evident by the title, but exactly what it is, what it looks like.
2: It's a resort from i think it was a turn of the century in the 1900s when people first started using as like a vacation kind of destination some guy built like a beautiful victorian resort lodge thing there and what it lasted like three years and burned down
1: yeah it lasted like a minute and burned down unfortunately so yeah
2: but they had to put this road all the way out there which back then was probably wagons you know they took out there and people did it though they went out there and Back then, I think the hot water comes out of like these rocks right next to the Solduck River. And so they kind of made a pool back then. And then, you know, as time progressed, they made three different pools there with different temperatures. And there's like a regular swimming pool, you know, a new lodge, obviously. And there's campgrounds and there's trails and there's the little cabins, which we rented, which were super cool, right on site. So, I mean, we just walked over to the hot springs and went in, so refined hot springs. I've been to some that, you know, you got to hike up these trails for three miles and here's just some hot water coming out of a rock and here's a pool. Like this was super nice, very accessible for everybody. Yeah, so.
1: it's totally glamping. So we left the cabin, you walk about, I don't know, we walked about a hundred yards to the lodge and behind that is the hot spring pools. And what a way to end the trip after being on the tra- in the backcountry on the trails is to get in that. And we went right for the super hot one. And we should note that the rules were, no beers in the hot springs, but what is allowed is right next to the hot springs is a kind of a picnic area. So we put our beers in the picnic area, which was about 20 feet away. So basically drinking cold beers, sitting in the hot springs, that's how you finish out a long weekend in the national parks, in the back country, in the front country, and 30 some odd miles of hiking. It felt fantastic. And that I was, was ready great, to yeah. fall asleep right there.
2: Again, it's like one of those things. Like, okay, I know where that is, and I've worked all around it, but never been there.
1: Well, you know, it's the same thing. A New Yorker never goes to the Statue of Liberty. There was one other, and this is comedy, and I should say at the front. We have to share the park with everybody, and we're cool with this. If you remember before dinner, we wanted to do the Saul Duck Falls hike, which isn't far at all, and the falls were dramatic. But do you remember the knuckleheads we saw on the trail when we were hiking up the trail? The one dude. Oh yeah, he
2: so, had that uh, the air powered keyboard. I looked it up. It's called the
1: melodica. I didn't know what it was called. So this guy, <laughs> this guy and his buddies, I'd say early 20s, he's dressed in this patchwork jester quilt shirt <laughs> and he's blowing in a melodica, which is an air powered keyboard. So you blow into a tube and you play the keyboard and he wasn't very good at it. So he's playing this terrible, terrible discordant Song on this annoying instrument. No offense to anybody who plays melodica. And, you know, we're in the woods. You're trying to get our a nice, quiet hike in the woods. <laughs> this dude, we can laugh about it now, but I think you and I were contemplating throwing him over the falls and singing. Yeah,
2: we wanted to push him off the cliff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Come on,
1: man. Exactly. He didn't care,
2: though. His buddy had the guitar, too. I don't
1: know. His buddy had the guitar, and someone had a fifth, a Canadian Club. So those guys, I don't think, were feeling much pain on the trail. So I think that. <laughs> totally harmless just slightly whimsical and annoying so uh whatever hipsters huh
2: yeah you see all types of people out there though you know you see all types
1: (laughs) and so listen when we had a civilized dinner too at the lodge which i ate elk for maybe the third time hey you know one thing so that was the end of our trip the next day we left headed to the airport and i unfortunately had to make a work call there was no reception in sold so we were told, you know, drive up to this turnoff for North Fork, which we thought was great because you and I grew up on the North Fork of Long Island. So this was great. So I was able to make my work call and we finally saw the Roosevelt elk. So it was early morning because I had to call back to the East Coast and we finally saw these Roosevelt elk. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, what we saw?
2: Well, you remember when we were out by Quinault, uh, well, that's we heard I get the elk to. bugle? You start, were like, dude, what is that? I'm like, that's an elk, man. You're like, no way. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's really what they sound like.
1: Such a strange sound that my brain, when I heard the sound, when we were at the Enchanted Valley Trail on the way back, we heard this weird whistle and my brain was like, why is there a New York City ice cream truck here in the middle of the woods that's clearly broken because it's not the same jingle, but it's the best I can. It's so otherworldly and weird and not what you would expect to come out of a big animal like that. It was strange. and I was glad I got to hear what's called. It's siren. Called? It's a
2: bugle. A bugle. A elk bugle.
1: Elk yep. bugle. So we saw the elk bugle, but didn't see the elk. So here we are our last day, last morning before you drove back to drop me off the airport. And we're on North Fork. We look down to the Solduck Duck River. And what did we see?
2: Well, first we saw a spike elk, which a spike elk has horns, but they're just starting basically right in the middle of the gravel bar of the river. We're like, oh, look at that. Awesome. You know? And then we looked down And there was a full bull elk, full rack, you know, probably 12-point rack giant with his herd is what you'd call it. So the one male elk has a bunch of female elk that is his, and he protects them from other male elk. So they were bugling back and forth at each other. He's basically like, get away from my herd. And it happened right in front of us, which is super cool. And, yeah, we saw the maybe 10 or 12 head, and there were some little babies out there too. Cows and bulls is what they call them, you know. He just uh, rounded up his females and left. So I got some good footage and stuff. So yeah, I'm glad you finally got to see some elk because it's definitely elk country.
1: And what a great way to end the trip too. So from there, you just drove me back to SeaTac and then I flew on out. It was a great trip and we hit a lot, you know, kind of the typical areas. There's the Heart of the Hills entrance and Hurricane Ridge and the Elwa entrance for the park by Port Angeles, again, which is more of a typical staging area. So we missed that, but... We were in the southern end in Lake Quinault. We got to go to Ho, and I would have skipped this if not for you. You know, we got going to Ruby Beach and then going back out to Ozette. was spectacular and not to be missed. So I'm very, very glad you suggested that. And again, I can't think of a better way to end a long camping trip and a lot of mileage hiking. Is to sit in some natural hot springs and drink a local beer and uh, just chill out. And also we should mention, it was very cool to meet the people in in Soul Hot Springs. So we made some friends right away with some people that were also in the pools with us. And that was, again, just a great way to end the uh, trip.
2: Yeah, people so friendly.
1: That was a great trip, man. So it's a beautiful part of the country you live in. And uh, thanks for sharing it with me. I really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, a lot of those trails are just untapped by so many people, you know, I mean, it makes me want to do more. Our little trip that we did, I want to like do those trails up to the subalpine lakes next summer and see all the wildflowers. I mean, it's just drawing me back right now as I speak about it. So
1: Right. And we talked about some of the more intense backcountry where you can traverse Olympic and, you know, it's going to take you seven nights or so and, you know, you can climb up to the snowfall, right? Or you think about the whole valley trail, we can go right up and they have a ranger station in the summer right on the rim of the glacier, you know, not necessarily for kids, my kid's age, but I think just for kid stuff, I think kids, their imagination would run wild. It was fairly well-maintained. Some of those trails even were ADA, so easy, easy for kids. I think our backcountry, again, if your kid's ready for backcountry, the hike wasn't too terrible. But, you know, your kid's got to be ready for the backcountry. But, yeah, I thought Ho would be key for kids, in my opinion. And, obviously, Lake Quinault, especially my kids, would have uh, gone bonkers and been in the lake and in the pool and had tons of fun there. But... It was very family-friendly and a theme Danielle and I have discovered in seeing all these national parks is there's the hot spots where if you're there in the summertime at 11 o'clock in the morning, it's packed to the gills, but it's not hard to get away from that at all. To your point, yeah, it was shoulder season, but it was beautiful. It was a weekend. Some of these trails we had to ourselves, where we would see one or two people and that was it. And it was lovely. It was very nice. Well, listen, let's leave it there. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for being on our podcast and looking forward to uh, maybe another trip and you can report in on what you're seeing out there. I really appreciate your time, Dan.
2: Yeah, it was great.
0: Thank you for listening to Everybody's National Parks. You may find show notes and links to resources on our website, everybodysnationalparks.com. While there, consider clicking on support our show. You may find the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. If you like the show, Write a review and please tell your friends. You may also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Or send us your comments at everybodysnationalparks.com forward slash contact. We love to hear from you from the parks you are visiting. So please tag us at hashtag everybody's national parks. Most of all, enjoy exploring the national parks with your family. Bye for now.